I love the line, what language shall I borrow? I can't come up with the words. What language shall I borrow? Would you turn to Luke chapter 18 once again? Verse 9, and he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And what goes along with this trust in yourself, they despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. In the original, the definite article is used. The sinner. I tell you, well, there's something so powerful about the Lord Jesus saying, I tell you. It's not some preacher telling you this. This is me. I tell you, this man went down to his house. What's that word? Justified. Rather than the other, for everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. I've entitled this message, A Parable to the Self-Righteous. A parable to the self-righteous. Question. Are any of us exempt from this? Is he speaking to someone else? A parable to the 
self-righteous. I may be a lot of things, but I'm not self-righteous. Really. This uh, parable, uh, there's not a parable that's more um, definitive of the gospel, of the message of this book, than this particular parable. Do you know that the biggest problem that you and I have is self righteousness you may be even having problem with some kind of addiction and I pray the Lord will deliver you from that what a horrible thing but you know this is the biggest problem you have biggest problem I have self righteousness somebody says that's not me yeah it is yeah it is You see, self-righteousness is the oldest sin. It is original sin. It is what Satan tempted Eve with in the garden. If you eat this fruit, this is what will make you like God. It will put you on a higher plane. What's the first thing they did after the fall? They made... A fig leaf, self-righteous apron to cover their sin. What is the first thing they said when they were confronted with their sin? Adam said, the woman that you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I did eat. This is your fault. It would not have taken place had you not given me this woman. He was speaking from the place of self-righteousness. I'm not that bad. This is your fault that this took place. Self-righteousness not only is the first sin, the original sin, it is the most deadly sin. It is not your sin or your sins that will keep you from Jesus Christ. It is your self-righteousness. That's what will keep you from coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. Self-righteousness is the most difficult sin to stamp out. You put it... Down one place, it pops back up somewhere else. Well, at least I know I'm a sinner. You can make a righteousness out of that. At least I know. Well, at least I know I'm a serial killer. Does that make it okay? (laughs) Same difference. Self-righteousness. It's the most deceitful. Sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves 
And the truth is not in us. It's the most disrespectful sin to God. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar. What disrespect. And his word is not in us. Self-righteousness is behind every objection to the gospel of grace. Self-righteousness. Any righteousness that is generated from self. He spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous. It's self-righteousness that prevents a man from seeing he's a sinner. It's self-righteousness that makes a man have no need of God's electing grace. Why, it's not fair. If you have an objection to that, it's because of self-righteousness. That's the only reason. You wouldn't object if it were not for self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is the enemy of the gospel. Self-righteousness is behind all of our sins against our fellow men. That man who is, trusts himself that he's righteous, what's he do? He despises others. He looks down upon others. He thinks he's better than they are. Therefore, he has the right to mistreat them when it comes right down to it. What's yours is mine. I deserve it. It's behind prejudice. It's behind jealousy. It's behind envy. It's behind any type of mistreatment. We think we're better. Self. Righteousness. Every problem I have, somehow it's connected with self-righteousness. God hates it. Six things does God hate. Yea, seven are an abomination to him. What's the first thing he mentions? A proud heart. God hates it. He who is holy hates it. Self-righteousness. God even said in Isaiah 65, 5, he speaks of those who say, Stand by thyself, come not near to me, for I am holier than thou. That's where that term comes from. You've heard the term holier than thou. It's the only time the word holier is found in the scripture. If you understand holiness, you understand holier is non-existent you're either holy or you're not but these people say stand away from me i'm holier than thou god says regarding these people these are a smoke in my nostrils a bad smell offensive the greatest oxymoron the greatest contradiction in terms is Self-righteous? Self-righteous? What a contradiction in terms. Yet, it's so much a part of me. It's what I breathe. Self-righteousness. That's you, that's me. Self-righteous, every son of Adam is included 
in this certain that the Lord speaks unto. Don't think he's talking to somebody else. He spake unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous. This is the unbeliever's biggest problem. This is the believer's biggest problem. I hope you believe that. He spake unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. The necessary consequence of self-righteousness. Despising others. Verse 10. Two men. This is the parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one, a Pharisee, and the other, a publican. Two men. Now these two men are the two representative men. This describes every son and daughter of Adam. You and I are in one of these two groups, two men. Kind of like Cain and Abel, or the two thieves on the cross. The Bible quite often makes it so simple. There's only two kind of men. There's not three. There's only two kind of men. And you are described in this. I am described in this. Two men went up into the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a publican. Now, these two men encapsulate uh, Blaise Pascal's observation. This is my favorite statement I've ever read that wasn't in the Bible. That's how much I love this statement. You've heard me make it before. There's only two kinds of people in this world. The righteous and the wicked. Two. The righteous and the wicked. All of the righteous, without exception, believe themselves to be wicked. The publican lets us know that. Remember what the Lord said about this man? He went down to his house justified, altogether righteous, sinless before God. But what was his confession of himself? God, be merciful to me, the sinner. He saw himself to be the most evil man alive. He knew what was in his heart. Me and you can't see everything was there. He, he, he did. And this Pharisee, all the wicked, believed themselves to be righteous. Or at least have the potential to be righteous. We see this so clearly in this Pharisee and his prayer. Now, I love what the Lord says at the end of giving us these two men's prayer. Verse 14, he said, I tell you. Oh, there's such authority in that. That's the same phrase that's used in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said of them of old. And the scripture would be quoted. He said, 
but I say unto you. If I say it, that makes it so. Divine authority speaking. I say unto you, this man, this self-condemned man, went down to his house justified. Cleared of all guilt. Altogether righteous before God. And that's the Lord's testimony concerning this man. And the Lord doesn't make any comment as to how that could be. <laughs> he just says it. And the rest of the Bible tells us how this can be. How a man like this publican can be justified before God. Now these two men are polarized. <laughs> they were as polarized as they could be. The Pharisee and the publican. Pharisee means Separated one. That's all the word means. Uh, separated one. This was a religion actually that began about 150 years before the time of Christ. You don't read about uh, these men in the pages of the Old Testament. But they had even made themselves a new Bible called the Ta Talmud. And they had all these rules and regulation. It was the strictest, most moral sect in the world. The Pharisees. They believe themselves to be righteous, outwardly moral. And then we have the publican. He was employed by and protected by the Roman government to collect taxes. And he would overcharge you and line his own pockets with the money. And he was kind of a mafia-like figure. Um, he had protection. If you didn't come up with the money, he had somebody that could make sure you get it to him. The most despised man in Israel. He was the Bernie Madoff of his day. He robbed people's savings. He, he took widow's retirement. He did whatever he could to exhort money. And everybody hated him. You had the most religious and moral. And you had the publican. That's the lowest rung on society in people's thoughts and minds. You would have despised him. Now, in verses 11 and 12, we read of the religion of the Pharisee. And in verse 13, we read of the religion of the publican. Now, let's... Look in verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood. Before we look at his wording, let's look at his uh, attitude. He stood. He stood. He felt quite confident to stand. He stood and prayed. He acknowledged God. But I think it's so interesting the way the Lord tells us with regard to his prayer. The Pharisee stood and prayed. How? Thus with himself. He thought he's praying to God. He addressed God's name. But the Lord says he prayed thus with himself. Thus. 
You see, God did not hear this prayer by way of favor. Oh, he knew exactly what he's saying. But as far as any efficacy with his prayer, he didn't get any further than the ceiling. He prayed thus with himself. And the Lord points that out to us. If you would have asked him who he was praying to, he'd say, God, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are. But he was praying to himself. You see, he was worshiping himself, wasn't he? He wasn't worshiping God. He was worshiping himself. You know, I can hear the irreverence in his tone. God, I just think of probably the way he said it. The familiarity that actually is unclean. He prayed thus with himself. Now look at the words of his prayer. God, I thank thee. Now the first thing that I want to point out is that Scott's theology was right. He didn't give himself the credit. I thank thee. This guy was no free willer. He was no Armenian. He said, God, I thank thee. I wouldn't dare thank myself for this glorious life I'm living. I thank thee. I give you all the credit. <clears throat> but there's an unmistakably obvious omission in what he thanked him for. He doesn't thank him for who he is as far as the Lord. He doesn't thank him for the forgiveness of sins. He doesn't thank him for the freeness of his grace. He doesn't thank him for the greatness of his mercy. No. He said, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. The emphasis of false religion is a changed life. Look at me. My life gives evidence that I am saved. That is what I am resting in. Are you saying that character and conduct do not matter? I'm saying that if you find assurance of salvation because of anything in your life, you're missing the gospel. You will notice five times this man uses the word, I. Five times in this prayer. Look at it. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Five eyes in his prayer. Now, is there anything wrong with not being an extortioner? 
not being unjust, not being an adulterer, giving tithes of all you possess, fasting twice in the week. Is there anything wrong with that? No. I would say it would be a good practice for all of us. All of these things, extortion, taking what doesn't belong to you, um, unjust, an adulterer. Look at the problems that's created in our society. His generosity, his um, self-denial, fasting twice in the week. Is there anything wrong with that? No. Here's the problem. Everything he said was a lie. Turn with me to Romans chapter 2. Let me justify what I'm saying from the scripture. Verse 1. He looked at these people. He said, I'm not like they are. You know, a religion of comparing yourself with somebody else is never wise. You can always find somebody that you think you're better than them, than them but in reality, you're wrong. That kind of religion is wrong altogether. But look what Paul says in verse 1. Now, this man was casting a judgment on these people. I'm not like other men are. That fellow's an extortioner. I'm not like that. That fellow's unjust. That's not me. That fellow's an adulterer. I'm not. That fella doesn't fast. I do. That fella is not generous. I am. He was casting a judgment on these people. I'm not like them. Romans chapter 2 verse 1. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever art thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. That fellow that you're judging for extortion, you're an extortioner. What hypocrisy. That fellow that you're judging for being unjust, you're so unjust. No, I'm not. God says you are. God says you are. That fellow you're judging for his immorality, God says you too. Any judgment you make against somebody else for whatever it is, is pure, unadulterated hypocrisy. That man was a hypocrite. What he was saying that he didn't do in God's sight. In fact, he did. We're talking about what God sees, not what man sees. You know, what man sees is really inconsequential. What does God see? This man was making a claim that he had no right to make. He talked about what he didn't do. 
and he was wrong. Then he talked about what he did do. I fast twice in the week. And I'm sure on his fast days he disfigured his face so that everyone could see he was fasting. And somebody would say, what's wrong? I'm fasting. And if you failed to ask, he'd tell you, I'm fasting. And I give. I give tithes of all that I possess. You know, the Lord did say, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing and giving. But boy, this man let everybody know. I give tithes of all. Everybody know. I'm the most generous man in the church. And then he turned his eyes toward that pathetic man he saw as he walked in the temple praying that pathetic prayer. And he said, Lord, I thank you I'm not like that. I'm not like that. Five eyes in this prayer. And that's a dead giveaway, isn't it? I, 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 I. Sin's a little word and the biggest word is the biggest letter in it. It's the middle word, I. I. Self. Righteousness. Biggest oxymoron that we can state. The biggest contradiction in terms we can state. Biggest problem we have. The root behind every other problem. Self-righteousness. I think it's interesting that the word I is not found in the publican's prayer. Let's look at the publican's prayer. Verse 13, and the publican. Standing afar off. Now, before we look at this seven-word prayer, consider his posture standing afar off. He felt so isolated, so sinful, so inadequate, so unworthy. He stood afar off. And what was he doing? He would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven. I can almost see the Pharisee when he's praying, putting his eyes up, his hands up. Lord, here's me. Not this man. He wouldn't even so much as lift his eyes up toward heaven. Oh, he felt so alone. So there wasn't anybody like him. He knew that he was the worst man alive. That's how he saw himself. And he beat upon his breast. You see, that's where he knew his problem was, his heart. The heart is desperately wicked. That means incurably wicked. Deceitful above all things. He knew that's me. When he heard the description God gives, God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. He said, that's the truth with regard to me. I don't know how anybody else feels, but I know that's me. That's this man. So isolated, so alone. Nobody like me. I am the sinner. Not a sinner among many 
the sinner. The definite article is used. And his prayer consists of seven words. Pretty brief prayer. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I guarantee you the way he used the Lord's name was different than the way the Pharisee used the Lord's name. When the Pharisee used the Lord's name, he used it with some familiarity. God, you know me. I think of that uh, hymn I've heard uh, saying, um, he walks with me and he talks with me. He tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. I'm sure he felt that way about himself. If we say we have fellowship with him, that's what he made claim to. I've got fellowship with God. He hears me. But this man, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. God, be merciful to me. Please don't give me what I richly deserve. We see what he thought about his life. At publican, he had a pretty high opinion of his life. I think he really believed those things. Was he being sincere? Yeah, I believe he was. He was sincerely wrong, but he was being sincere. But this man, we see what he thinks of his life. God be merciful. Don't give me what I deserve. God be merciful to me, the sinner. And the word merciful in the original is propitious. God be propitious. What in the world does that word mean? That's not a, a word that we hear very often. Propitious. A propitiation is a sin-removing sacrifice. And this man isn't telling the Lord what he's going to do about his sin. Oh, if you, I'll, I'll be better. To th things are changing. If you'll just do this for me, I'll start. Nothing like that. He says, I cannot do anything about my sin. God be propitious. Cause it to be removed through the blood atonement of thy son. God be propitious. Be a sin-removing sacrifice. I can't get it to leave. You do something for Christ's sake about my sin. Notice he calls himself the, the sinner. If you're a sinner, you know that all you do is sin because you're the one doing it. That's the problem. Even if it appeared good, you did it. There's the problem. You did it. And you know you cannot keep 
from sin because it's you doing it. You put that offering in the box back there. If you know you're a sinner, you know there's no merit in that. No righteousness in that because you did it. You have so many bad motives, you want to be the most generous person. You did it. Well, we might as well not do anything then. No, no, don't do that. Don't do that. But just realize you and I, in reality, cannot look down our nose in moral superiority or judgment over any son of Adam alive. Do you believe that? You can't judge anybody. I can't judge anybody. And you know, my sin's all my fault. I can't, I can't blame anybody for it. You know, it's, it's only when it's all your fault, completely your fault, that you need mercy. I don't have any claims on God. I can't say God owes me anything. I'm a sinner. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I love what Paul said, and here's the only time we're allowed to use the word I. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. What a glorious thing that Christ came into the world to save sinners. Now look what the Lord says in verse 14. I tell you. I think there's such power in that. This is the Lord's words. This is not some preacher's words or some religious words or some soul winner's words. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, the authority of his speech. What he says is so because he said it. I tell you, this is my judgment. This is what I say. This man went down to his house, not forgiven, not shown mercy, not receiving grace. Although all those words are true, but that's not the word the Lord chooses to use. He says, this man went down to his house, this man who cried, God, be propitious to me, the sinner. Take away my sin. Cause it to be washed away through the blood atoning sacrifice of your son. I have nothing else. Look at me through the cross of your son. Let me be found in him. The Lord says, with regard to this man, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, cleared of all guilt, Sinless before God, righteous before God, perfect before God. And the Lord said, I tell you that. And interestingly enough, he doesn't tell how that is in this parable, but he uses the rest of the Bible to teach us that. How God can be just and justify somebody like this poor, pathetic publican. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3.
verse 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped. No excuses. And all the world may become guilty before God. Has my mouth ever been stopped? And I stand guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, anything you do, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. All the law is ever going to tell you and me is that we're sinners. You and I, I'm speaking of both of us, we've not kept one of the Ten Commandments in ourselves one time. Do you believe that? All the law does is expose sin. But, verse 21, now, right now, the righteousness of God without the law, without my attempts at keeping it, is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. It's what the Old Testament has always taught. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. Now notice that word of. Not by faith in Jesus Christ. By faith of Jesus Christ. The faithfulness of, the law keeping of, the obedience of Jesus Christ. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by the faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that, what? Believe. Believe. Believe what? That there's no difference. You take the most and listen i i want to promote in every way morality a, a, a moral upstanding life in every respect but in god's sight you take the most moral and the most degraded evil man alive there's no difference there's no difference For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now there's a definition of sin. Coming short of the glory of God. Being justified. There's the word the Lord used. Being justified freely 
That means you didn't do anything to get it. Being justified freely by His grace. This is an act of God's grace. Free grace. Saving grace. Through the redemption. The redeeming work of Christ on the cross whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. There's that word again. A propitiation. A sin removing sacrifice. God That word set forth means foreordained. This has always been God's purpose. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Do you believe that the blood of Jesus Christ is all that's needed to make you justified before God? Clean, perfect, sinless. You believe that? I do. Faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness. Not just his mercy and not just his grace, not just the forgiveness of sins, but his righteousness that he might be just. And the justifier of some person like that publican crying, God be merciful to me, the sinner. The very righteousness and justice of God demands his salvation. And if you're a believer, the very justice and law and righteousness of God demands your salvation. Why? Your sin's been removed. It's been propitiated by the blood of Christ. His very righteousness is given to you so that God has found a way to be just and justify the ungodly. Verse 27. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. It's shut out by what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Now back to our text in closing. The Lord adds what could be called the unalterable law of the kingdom of heaven. He says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased. Nebuchadnezzar said, them that walk in pride, he knoweth how to abase. He does. If I, like this Pharisee, exalt myself, I'll be abased. And that Pharisee, if he was a real man, he's been in hell ever since. That's what that's talking about. And he that humbleth himself takes the lowest seat like this publican, shall be exalted by his grace. Lord, save me from my sin. Lord, save me from my self-righteousness. Let's pray. Lord, how we thank you for your word. 
how we thank you for salvation for sinners. Lord, we confess our self-righteousness. It's so hypocritical. We pray that you would cleanse us from our sin, cleanse us from our self-righteousness. Lord, deliver us from despising others and looking down on others and cause us to always take the lowest seat in the house. Give us the grace to humble ourselves in your mighty presence and save us by the propitiation that Christ worked out on the cross. Lord, enable everybody in this room to pray this prayer. God be propitious to me, the sinner. And Lord, let us hear from you that we are justified by what your son has done in our behalf. In his name we pray, amen.